Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martin Kills River, alongside the chapelries of St. Martin and St. John. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this, your exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis. Uh, we were off last week because of a sudden passing um, and out of respect. And yeah, I am joined as always by the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. Father Rodney, um, my deepest condolences to you and your family. Um, it's always a difficult thing, especially now with um, this virus that is claiming more and more people. Um, I heard in our church, I think there was another passing this week where there wasn't a vent available for this person. So it's getting pretty serious in Cape Town as well now. Um, but please tell me something. Tell me your fondest memory of your brother. I think the memories that usurp all the other memories is um, that when I think of the conversations that the two of us held, there were three basic three topics that we spoke about that all were held in tandem. Our understanding of who God is, how we read and interpret scripture, and also what we understand the church to be. And um, in our youthful years, in our teens and in our 20s and 30s and so on, there would be huge arguments around this. That was the way we bonded. And when mm -hmm. we came into our 50s, we, there was some mallowing of it, a maturing of how we handle such topics. There was no doubt that my brother and I were on, on different pages with these things. Um, he, we both grew up in the Anglican church. And so, and my, my, my brother was a risk taker. He pushed the boundaries. Um, and he was also keen on exactly trying to tell you where he was. So here was a young man, this is my fondest memory. Here was a young man who, whom the, our school system could not accommodate because his imagination was way beyond what the school could interest him in. So at, so in that level of his life, he w wasn't stupid. He just mm -hmm. wasn't interested because they were not interesting enough. And I think that's one thing I want to, to admit to. But when we started in our debating, I was fascinated, particularly in the maturing years, time of our lives, the way he articulated faith, the way he articulated an understanding of scripture, even though I may not always have agreed with him, and probably 99% of the time I didn't agree with how he articulated, um, I was impressed by his, um, by his thought patterns. I was impressed by his vocabulary. I was impressed mm -hmm. by how he put sentences together. Um, he was on an on a academic level that, you know, was impressive from somebody was not keen for school um, when the time it was. So that was the, that was for me a keen learning. And when I preached at his funeral on in John 14, and you know where I'm going to. And I 
use the word no learning um, as the celebration of his life. Mm. That uh, what he taught, what he did, how he developed himself. So yeah, those, that was the memories. Our bonding happened in, in what tended to be a very tiresome thing because he, he, he identified himself eventually as an evangelical. He eventually landed up in the Baptist church, but he always was called to the leadership place. Wherever, whatever church he went to, even in the Anglicans, he was always recognized as a leader. Mm. And, um, and, and he would always, you know, talk to me and challenge me. And, you know, uh, having come out of the Anglican tradition, obviously he was going to challenge me now that he's in another <laughs> denomination. So I have that, I, I, I'm going to miss that. Um, mm. I'm going to miss, especially the fact that we could have mellowed and spoken and, and, and acknowledged one another. When you youthful, you seem to uh, want to fight with one another about your different points of view. Hmm. Oh, that's lovely. I, I have come to um, appreciate my relationship with my sisters as well now in my, in my adult years, uh, especially with my middle sister, because I feel there was a lot of maybe jealousy or competing for our parents' attention um, on both sides. And in adulthood and with our parents gone now, um, I think we can relate to each other as, as people and not as, as siblings, which is which is lovely. And I, I can see that uh, you and your brother also reached that place where you related to each other as people and not as siblings. And that's, that's always great when you can foster a friendship um, with, within that, that sibling bond. Um, yeah, heavy stuff. As I said, um, my thoughts are with you and your family as you process this. It's just one day at a time. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have not lost a sibling, but I've lost people close to me mm. and friends who felt like siblings. <laughs> mm. So I, I have some inkling of, of an understanding. Um, yeah, there's just the gospel this week. Um, so if you could please call us together with the collect and I will catch up with you after that. Uh, good morning, uh, peoples of God. We thank you for joining us. As always, thank you that you supported my, myself and my family with your prayers and with your messages of comfort, the loss of my brother, Daniel, um, and also that the church supported us because we were able to bury him from St. George's um, on Thursday. I greet you with these gathering words. My sisters and brothers, the Lord of faithfulness, is with you. Let us pray the collect for the Sunday, eighth Sunday after Pentecost. It is on your screen. Oh God, you sent your son to heal and to bring peace. Give us the stillness that restores our spirits and the grace that brings healing. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So the gospel is Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 34 and 53 to 56. So a little bit of context. This is now the apostles and Jesus gathering together for the first time since he commissioned them 
to go out and spread the word and he stayed around in, in Galilee. And then the story between those two is the death of John the Baptist, which happened when Herod had his little soiree for the leaders of Galilee and obviously promised um, somebody John's head on a plate and delivered on that promise. So they get together for the first time and the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. So this is this is leading up to the feeding of the 5,000. So these people are dogging the apostles and Jesus, and they are just wanting every minute of time that they can and getting the laying down the sick people in the streets and people are just touching Jesus's robe and he is reaching like the height of his influence in this area. But it's important that I drew on what Herod was doing because Jesus says in here, um, he looks on them with compassion and thinks of them like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. And it's just an interesting leadership contrast where Herod was holding feasts for the leaders of Galilee, but Jesus was feeding the common folk. And like that disconnect is 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 just completely fascinating. What what, what do you read into that, Father? Um, I think that one of the things we keep um, discovering as we read scripture is about leadership. And the question about God's leadership in the Old Testament, for example, the people wanted a king to lead them. Um, God thought that wasn't a good idea because ultimately the covenant says, I am your God and you are my people. So in other words, God is the ultimate leader of God's people. And the Old Testament also have the motive of God as the shepherd leader, mm. and um, and in one of the readings that we didn't add yet to today, uh, and also God casting judgment on the so-called religious leaders uh, of Israel, um, who who's accused of scattering and destroying. So leadership is a key thing, uh, a key theme in the um in scripture particularly mm. how does god lead us and um you know psalm 23 is a psalm that we also use for sunday now um, the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he leads me this is a god that leads from the front he's the shepherding god so when we look at the you 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 had uh, um, juxtaposed the leadership of Herod, mm. who was a puppet king. He really didn't have power. 
Um, and it reminds that kind of puppet king reminds me of what happened when the National Party decided to create a tricameral parliament. Mm. They gave the black colored and Indian the illusion, but it wasn't real leadership. Um, anything that they were allowed to do was only focused on the race group that they, the classified race group that they had to look after. They had no power over the rest of, of the country. Uh, each ruled their own race group, but the whites ruled everyone else. So a puppet rulership. And then if you look back at those times, there was all the political voices or the leadership in the country that would lead people economically and politically, they were silent. They were banned. They were imprisoned. They died. And so under people like Desmond Tutu and Jongonkulu, under other bishops such as um, the former bishops, you know, uh, that we had, Carter and um, Juister Blanc, um, Bill Burnett and all those people, they had to be a voice of leadership to the nation. Mm. They had to <laughs> rise to the occasion, but it wasn't a leadership um, that had power in that sense, but really a servant leadership. And this is the kind of leadership that Jesus displays. You cited that Herod's um, party was held up with the leadership of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the community. Jesus was in the midst of those who were leaderless, mm. who were not sure where their lives was going to take them. And he comes into their presence of confusion and messiness. And his first approach to them was not judgment, but compassion. He, had a, he was showing a passion to care for people in this context. If he didn't have the passion for them in their struggle. And it took me back when I read this text to what possibly we could understand a bit about the mystery of that meaning in John's gospel. When the word becomes, did he go and live in um, ivory towers? No. He associated himself with those who were the marginalized of society. Because where else would leadership to transform their lives have to come from? But from amongst them. So he embodied their experience. He comes alongside them with a passion for their struggle and for them in the struggle. But he does so with care, with love. and. You know, I read into this word, he began to teach them. So he, he his approaches with compassion. He identifies the problem of leader, leaderlessness. And then what does he do? He teaches them. What is the role of Jesus' teaching? What was he, what was he, what was he needing to do when he taught people? Teaching is about empowerment. It's about opening up their minds is to help them identify exactly who they are before God and what they can become 
if they exercise faith and trust in God. In other words, to those that see that that are, are leaderless, who have no leaders in the world, God becomes their leader. So it's very much on par with the Old Testament motive of God on the side of those who unjustly treated, those who had no power, those who um you know, who had no sense of a future, no sense of a journey of their lives. Mm. He comes alongside those people and through his teaching, he empowers them. But his attitude is right. I love that Mark identifies the attitude of Jesus. Because you can go amongst those who are poor and just talk nonsense because you don't have the passion in you for these people. And I mean, I'm impressed that Mark, of course, we know Mark was running. I was teaching, was um, writing in a rush. He teaches them many things. Mm. So there must have been that time spent with him and the way that he empowers them through that means. Of course, that's going to be challenged as the time goes on, but at least he sowed the seed and he gave uh, root to, to that in his teaching. Mm. So, yes. Is that a call for the church to never give up the call to be leaders of compassion? People who are on the side of those who really are down and out. Um, you know, we, what leadership can be given when in particular pockets in our country, looting has happened. Rioting has happened to the extent that 200 people are dead. There is no gain in what was done. The country will suffer losses. Who takes the responsibility? And here we say, is Cyril really the one that is going to give leadership? Because Cyril cannot get to the grassroots. So here the church has to become... Again and again and again, that shepherd leadership to the people, that servant leadership to the people, and that what we teach on the ground must not be from a biased perspective. It mustn't be from a judgmental perspective. We mustn't teach them so that they may take revenge again. We have to use a teaching, and we were talking about this earlier on, when trying to help your children to understand the context, what language are we meant to use so that we don't get our children confused and uh, um, and, and 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 suddenly um, subjectify people? Mm. Um, we we have to. So how are we meant to teach? And the church will teach alongside others. We need to get alongside them and others in, in, the, in the wider community to say, you know, how do we help restore all of this? Mm. No, um, it, it was interesting. Like you, you talk about like Cyril's leadership where there was a big call. Or at least he gets read as being too distant and being too cold through his speeches where I found a lot of amazing detail and attention to detail. Like I, I applaud his, his speech writing team because Monday night's speech 
was so yeah. specific in framing the conflict as being tribal. It was like, if you read the terms and conditions of Sasria, it was meeting all of those conditions. And then he echoed that last night, saying that the mechanisms have been put in place for like recovery and rebuilding, which means insurance payouts and everything and all that kind. Of, and a lot of people missed that because they wanted, I don't know if they wanted him to stand up and say that he is unleashing the army. But now here's the interesting thing. So the Zulu king, the current king, has not taken or at least asserted himself yet. Because remember, they just had a, a death of a monarchy. <laughs> um, yeah, they grieving still, yeah. Yeah, so there was a lot of rudderlessness to to the Zulu nation ship, um, if if I may, if you will extend me the <laughs> the room to use that kind of language. I'm very sorry, that just came out of nowhere. And then Cyril is also Mister Lonman Marikana, mm. so his hands were effectively tied by that albatross. Imagine the fallout. If one life had been taken by government security forces. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think he, he played this very well. He was very conscious. He was hyper conscious of that albatross around his neck. And I'm very sorry for the cliches today. <laughs> <laughs> no, they sometimes a necessary part of language. Um, and... And yeah, I, I I think I think he played it very well, and and he reiterated last night that um, a state of emergency suspends civil liberties, civil rights, and he did not want to do that unless absolutely necessary. And I, I think it was good that he also called attention to government's culpability with being caught with their pants down. Like how how did you not? <laughs> how did your intelligence not inform you of? this you know mm. so i i think mm. he did well there's a lot of people who disagree with me but i yeah i i'm very happy with 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 the leadership that our president showed i think we have to play an affirming role based on the theological uh, perspectives of the church and of other faith-based communities we cannot just down our leaders when the assumption of that role, I mean, it's huge. And to make um, helpful decisions that particularly life is not lost and therefore, you know, lower down how uh, um, relative, con you know, peace is, 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 is done. So, you know, you cannot have a leader only speaking from the top. You're going to have to have people at the bottom who listen and you can interpret alongside their perspectives, be it theological or economic, whatever. But I'm not talking from the church's perspective, how mm. we speak into this. Um, because look, the whole attitude of Jesus about compassion is, is one of saying we're trying to understand. We're trying to understand both those who decided to join the ranks of perpetrators and whose families will benefit short term of whatever happened. But 
the ethics of the whole issue. Mm. Um, the, the, the fact that because of this behavior, it breaks down your character. But if we go deeper, what is right at the bottom of all of this? Is, is, is it anger that change is taking so long? Is it disappointment? Is it, you know, uh, the contention that we are fed more lies than truth? Mm. We are given false hope. You know, this is where the prophetic ministry is very important, but then can we trust those who claim to be prophetic? Um, I, I was interested in the fact that, um, you know, I've got a family member who's decided she's no longer going to be on WhatsApp or on, on anything else because there's a voice that has told her that those are all parts of the devil's plan to get us. Okay. Right? Then the whole issue around the, 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 the vaccine and how people are still mistrusting this as at least a 99% uh, surety that uh, life is maintained, mm. um, life can survive. Um, there's a whole lot of mistrust. And who are the prophets that have done this? The so-called evangelical right-wing church perspective from America. They've plowed much into the, the you know, the, this whole thing of so if you don't trust science, if you don't trust um, God, if you don't trust anything, then who, who are you going to trust? Mm. And, and and on what basis are you looking to 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 trust? Now, what was interesting here? The, these passages, um, the th verse thirty tells us that the disciples comes back to Jesus and shares the ministry that they were performing. Mm. Right? They were involved. Um, and Jesus doesn't judge them. He says, now you need rest. So actually affirms them. Then we go down and we see, um, now we is it verse 34, and he went to show and the great crowd, and he saw a great crowd. And so there, he's involved with ministry. Mm. So always at the cold face, we got to be, but, what are we offering people there? Mm. And if the churches and faith-based communities are guilty of feeding misinformation amongst people, do you now understand why it's such a crisis when Jesus looks at these people and says, they were like sheep without a shepherd? Mm. A leaderless people can become a very um how does one put it on on both sides they can become a docile um disempowered people or they can become a very violent people one of the things that that, that this is texas taught me is that we're living in a messy world mm. and so ministry and mission happens in a messy world and what is needed here is consultation like the disciples had with Jesus. 
the importance of resting those who are on the forefront, like our nurses and doctors who work under enormous amount of pressure, mm. and then having the right attitude in a messy conditions. So we must have compassion for a leader like Cyril. We must have understanding that his role is difficult. And on the on the other side, those that I mean, like today, for example, the 67 um, tomorrow would be 67 minutes for for Mandela. And so we've done it today in our parish, for example. And over 500 sandwiches were made. Uh, well, we're contributing because we know there are those on the ground. If no leadership is taken, they're going to suffer even more. Mm. And so one is proud to be part of, of movements that say leadership is needed, the feeding of the poor must happen. We're going to show compassion um, in the mold of the leadership of Madiba, um, whose attitude was one of compassion. So we mm. want to, to celebrate that. But um, if that's not done, if that's not done, what happens to those who are living with adverse poverty, very disempowered to even do anything for themselves. Mm -hmm. What type of leadership is needed on the ground? It's the leadership of compassion. Mm. It's very interesting. Um, I, I, when when you're speaking about like giving rest to the doctors and the nurses and then speaking about um, Madiba's legacy, where, uh, so, <laughs> because I read a lot and because I prefer more controversial ideas to the standard, um, I dig up a lot of the more unsavory things about leaders and then form an opinion that's a lot more balanced. So I have a complicated relationship with Nelson Mandela's presidency, the legacy of his presidency. But the man, the talented lawyer who turned into that statesman is in my part, like despite the womanizing and all those other things, <laughs> um, he is uh, a fantastic human being to, to emulate. And the same goes with like Florence Nightingale, where there's a major issue with the role that she plays in the legacy of the world's medicine um, or medical uh, fraternity or industry. But one of the things that she did is she availed her house to nurses who could then take a break go on a little holiday and there was endless whiskey for them to <laughs> enjoy themselves with so with with all of these leaders there's there's like a little bit of humanity within them that just transcends all of the possible nastiness you will find about anybody like i'm if you go into my history you speak to a certain number of people you won't hear very flattering stories about me so i just make it i make a point of it to go look for those unflattering stories so that i can relate to these leaders as people yeah but i think also there is a leadership amongst us that 
the newspapers and headlines don't get. Yeah. I think of, of the group here this morning who, who, who wouldn't want their names to be mentioned. But, mm. you know, I, I was looking at some of them, this, or in fact, all of them this morning, knowing that a pot must go into this van and picking that pot up is leadership. Mm. Because that shows a plan. That shows there's a purpose. And so if they didn't step to the plate to pick up that pot and put it where it's supposed to be, or packing the food in such a way that you know you're giving this to human beings and being ensured that you do it with care and respect so that when you offer them that meal, there is dignity. They are, these people are not looked upon through their circumstances, but that they are brothers and sisters, part of humanity, whose sad conditions have put them where they are. But the conditions are there because of systems that have not worked properly in our country. So generationally, you have people having to suffer that way. So, so you know, we, we see the works of compassion. Often we are too caught up with those who speak words of compassion. Mm. That they don't look at those who live the words of compassion. Now I know that I'm going to be shot down if I mention names of people who did what they did. But I know that there are many, many people in this congregation and in many congregations we work who do not want to be on the silk screen, but without their particular aspect of leadership, without their vision, without their participation, we can't move forward. We mm. can't act. Um, and so I, I look at this picture of this group gathered around Jesus. And of course, <laughs> you long for the gathering, but you can't because of COVID. Mm. Just to, to be in a sense of fellowship and the excitement of being able to have done something uh, to achieve ministry in some particular way. Um, and I'm just wondering whether does COVID also offer us that deserved recuperation for our souls, our bodies, our minds, our spirits, to refine ourselves? Are we too keen to get back onto the sports fields? I'm looking at sports and I'm saying, why are stadium stadia full? As if this virus is over. And it's not by a long, mm. long shot. We're going to hear of things that are going to happen. Um, are we not taking... I know it's been more than a year. But is there not a time and a space when this time of recuperation, or COVID could be seen as a time of recuperation, for the spirit, for the soul, for learning and relearning things we've forgotten about. Um, one of the things that this text brings up for me in verse 54 is, they got out of the boat, people once recognized him. Mm. How mm. are we meant to recognize God in what you have so beautifully fully coined exploration of faith in a time of crisis. 
um, how do we recognize God? How do we reach out to God when hospitals are full? People are begging for healing. People we pray for, for healing, die. How do how is God present when we are called to be distant? And is it still possible? Now, I was amazed here because remember, when we think of touching the hem of Jesus' cloak, the story that pops up is the lady with the hemorrhage. Mm. I was to touch his cloak. So how do we touch the cloak? How do we touch the presence of our Lord in this time when we have to sanitize before we touch and we have to sanitize after we touch? A simple thing like putting petals onto my brother's coffin was preceded by sanitization. Mm. And after putting that on you have to sanitize again. How, where does this thing about touching his presence? Um, you think of they laid the sick in the marketplace, India, where people died on the streets. Mm. So what are we meant to take from the story such as this, where ministry is happening in a pretty messy world? And the looting showed us that. Mm. And, and the churches are sitting on edge because we have buildings, we have property. When will our places of worship be attacked? So, so what does this teach us? And and does using time in COVID for recuperation to rest a while an important part? of our recovery towards a future where there is no more COVID. But also for courage and strength and wisdom, you know, you said, I spend time reading. That's an important resource to build up. How you can speak into a context such as this. So are we using the time to read? Using the time to pray? Using the time to consult in different ways. As you said earlier on, I missed this podcast last week. <laughs> this way of just reflecting. Not just on the scriptural text, but how the towns and villages, we hear of boats and sea, we hear of places of that need where we retreat is happening. Our bishop is on retreat as from the 22nd, a time away from from everything just to be with God. Villages where, where our farms are cities and they are sick. There's a cry for healing. Mm. How is God present in a messy world? What does ministry mean? What does leadership mean in a messy world? I don't know. I... I... It might it might stir up unwanted feelings within you, but as you were talking, I was just thinking about my own experience in hospital, being hospitalized with COVID, where I was in a room at in the trauma ward when they were still assessing me. 
and I had to watch every person who entered first sanitize, put on their PPE to come inside. And it is one of the most dehumanizing feelings I have ever felt. Because you then are acutely aware of the danger that you pose to humanity. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like my 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 thoughts about I mean you you get to a pretty bad place where you like you wouldn't be able to see your family. You die alone. <laughs> and yeah. it's yeah. it's 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 a it's a crazy reality to live in. And I think that's I don't know. I I think back. My my son was asking. Uh, was it about two weeks ago? We were sitting around the table, and he was like, asking whether I think my father is happy. And then I turned it back on him, and I asked him. I was like, Where did I? Where does do I say heaven is? And he's like, In my heart. So I'm like, So you get to make up the rules. Mm. You get to decide whether he's happy and that is your reality and nobody can change that for you and yeah i think i think i, I will close on this and say that please over 35s <laughs> register go and get yeah. vaccinated um, i'm stuck in this weird model place <laughs> conundrum where i i've booked for the 4th of august to get my vaccination but yeah i now cannot Go earlier because I ask about the ethics that were so argued when people were accused of queue jumping with the first patch. Mm. And now suddenly the over 35s are just streaming to the <laughs> ahead of everybody else in the queue. And uh, I, there's no judgment. Please, um, the more people get vaccinated, the better it is for the country. And that is showing leadership as someone coined the term it's the generation of firstborns that now yes. to lead from the middle, from the middle. <laughs> can i just uh, in relation to the story that you had with adam and heaven yeah. um, say that, that it is interesting uh, the voice of children the thoughts of children and the challenge that they bring us to our own thinking when my uh, my brother's grandson, a tight relationship with his granddad, uh, he wanted to know by me, did I see his pa go up into heaven? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, yes, when I closed my eyes, then I see it happening. And when I put my heart, my hand on my heart, I see it happening. I said, but there's a third thing that I am confident about is when I look at you, I see my brother's face. In you. Wow. So in a way to show there's a connection. Mm. And I said, and I said, he said to me, so I said to him, and so because, you know, he asks the questions when he's distracted by doing whatever he was doing. Yes. And then yes. he said, and I asked him, and so do you think that is so? He said, yes, I do. 
and I was I was amazed at his acceptance of my of my um, you know point of view, and I really thought about that you know that it's 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 a very simple response to a very difficult question, but then it made me realize I I can't take a lessons from what happens once we've buried the person. Mm. We can only talk up until the next, from another person's life. Mm. But Jesus gives us a different picture because he, according to the scriptures, helped us to understand that he is he's raised from the death of the power of God. Now, I know people will find, some people don't have belief in that. I do mm. believe that. So when I, so I take comfort. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 gives us, us that understanding but i am glad for the voice of children mm. for their question i'm particularly living in a time of the crisis we are in mm. and i just hope that we'll be open more and more to the voice of children mm-hmm. definitely i will finish by by looking towards the feeding of the five thousand, and of all the takes that i have come across where they've discredited it because the Jews would have brought their own food because of their customs. The lasting impression is that the group that was listening to Jesus, the Jews who had their own food with him, decided to share amongst each other. And that, for some obscure reason, I have no idea what the stereotype it is of, of Jews and not sharing, but that apparently is an achievement in itself that those people shared amongst each other and no one went hungry. And Father, if you could please close and extract a few brief points of reflection from the prayers of the church. Thank you very much. This they, has been a fantastic. They call that the miracle. They call that <laughs> <Yeah>. the miracle. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, as we sing our praises to God, we continue to pray as his people and to give him thanks. We pray that Jesus, the true shepherd of his people, will draw his church close to himself as it seeks to proclaim his name in the world. Lord, refresh us in your love and in your life. And then we pray that Jesus, the true shepherd of his people, would unite all people under the covenant of grace. Lord, may all year peace announced to them. Jesus, true shepherd of your people, we ask you to give grace, rest to the weary. All his work brings them to the point of exhaustion. And we know at this time that there are many people working under enormous strain. We pray for places of renewal and recreation, especially our homes. And then, Jesus, to shepherd of your people, look with compassion and all desperate for your healing touch. And dear Lord, the list is huge. People on our pew leaflets, as well as many in hospital, COVID virus, its variants all over the world and particularly those that we know, family members. 
restore us from this crisis in the promise of your kingdom. And then Jesus, through shepherd of your people, we lay before you all who have died. Pray for Auntie Gladys, Uncle Nick, and Uncle Wally. As you make us a dwelling place for you, may we come to dwell with you forever. Bless all families, Lord, and keep us with your love and strength. We continue, Lord, to try and be faithful in prayer with this COVID prayer, author of life and savior of the nations. COVID is humbling. Your grace is sufficient. The deaths we mourn for the recoveries we give thanks. The compassionate care we applaud for the vaccines we are grateful. For compliance we plead. The common good we pray. In the healing name of Jesus. Amen. Two weeks ago, we, we buried two young people shot dead in our community. Last night, there were more gunshots in our area. Good Shepherd who called judgment on people who scatter and destroy. Please lead the wounded to green pastures of healing, to quiet waters of wholeness, restoring damaged bodies, minds and spirits. May they rise in declaration that the Lord is our righteousness. And so we pray for our continent and remember all continents. God bless Africa, God our children, guide our leaders, give us peace for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And then in conclusion, receive God's blessing and the commissioning. My sisters and brothers, go out remembering all God has done. Break down the walls of hostility, proclaim peace, have compassion. Passion for all, and don't forget to take time for yourself also. And may God be with you wherever you go. May Christ Jesus heal you and replenish you. May the Holy Spirit encircle you and strengthen you. Go in peace with courage to love and serve the Lord. Amen. 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 We go in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 God bless you all. Thank you, Lindsay, for leading us.